with you this morning. So happy to be here. Are you doing well today? Yeah. Doing well today. I'm doing well as well. Let's. Um, we're going to pray for Bishop and Pastor Kathy and their team just for a second. Um, this morning, when well, actually last night late, I, we got a text that Bishop was headed to the hospital with one of the team members, which actually is a pastor from Florida, and they thought something was happening. And come to find out, he's um, he's in a little bit of a critical condition with acute appendicitis in the middle of uh, Jerusalem. So I don't know about you, but that just feels like you could use a little extra prayer, right? And so uh, Bishop is there with him now. We received word this morning that it looks like he cannot be moved for seven days and that he may have to have surgery there. And um, it may be that Bishop even needs to be there with him during that time. So in light of all of that, this is unfolding news. I'm not telling you that to make us all nervous. I'm telling you that so that we can pray, right? I believe Bishop told us this morning so that we can pray and just believe God. They're having an amazing time. Uh, they're enjoying their time, and they've had a great trip this far. And, and the gentleman who is, who is in a little bit of a difficult place, his name is Pastor Ryan. He pastors in South Florida. He's been a friend of ours for many, many, many years. Pastor Jay is there, and so I have great confidence in our team, but we just want to lift them up. Is that okay? So before we do anything, we're just going to do that for a second. Lord, we just thank you for Bishop and Pastor Kathy and the team that's in Israel. And Lord, we just pray right now for Pastor Ryan. We thank you that you're our healer and that you, Lord, are the one who goes before us. And Lord, I thank you that this is nothing new to you. So we call healing and strength into his body. We thank you that you're restoring back to him every place that the enemy has tried to attack and that sickness and disease has tried to isolate. And Lord, I ask you that you will cause the healing power of your spirit right now to flow into that hospital room and to touch his body. I thank you for every doctor that's touching him today, that they'll have wisdom beyond their own capacity and, and they'll think higher than their own ways. And that, Lord, you will guide as the great physician over him today. Lord, we thank you for his family and for the peace of God over them. And Lord, we just lift up Bishop and Pastor Kathy to you as they navigate the situation, that you'll bring great peace and great wisdom to them. Lord, we bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, guys, I'm going to have to be really honest with you. We're kicking off our new series in relationships today, and, and um, I so desperately wanted to teach on something different than what I'm going to teach on today. I know that sounds so normal and cliche for a pastor, but it's absolutely the truth. You ever sit down? I kind of felt like Paul, when, when the writer of Acts said, Paul and all of us, we were all in mind and one accord to go in this direction. And then the Spirit spoke to us and said, you better go in this direction instead. And that's sort of how I felt. I felt like I wanted to go in this direction, and it's not that that direction's bad or that I don't think God's on it. I just don't think it was the right week. And I'll tell you why. I believe you cannot dip into a series on relationships without establishing the right ones first. It is of no value to talk about being a Christian in a Christian marriage, a Christian parenting relationship, a friendship, if you don't understand what it means to be in a relationship with God. And I find that today we have over and over and over again residual problems in America, particularly because we don't actually understand how to be in relationship. We have such transactional relationships with everyone that we have reduced ourselves to now even coming to church an hour and a half, serving maybe once a month. And the truth of the matter is no one ever observes whether or not we got good fruit or bad fruit because we're never around long enough to find out. And I want to talk about what it means to abide. I want to talk about what it means to abide. I feel that we sometimes don't understand the key principles to what it means to live a fruitful life in God. In fact, I would say that the majority of the time we spend our time trying to find out how to make something work through how-tos rather than finding ourselves in a relationship with him and letting him dictate to us and show us the way forward. We are so resolution-oriented as people and so goal-oriented as people that we believe that every relationship has a goal. This is the goal. 
Don't tell me we don't have one. Every person singing in this room has one. You have a relationship goal in almost every relationship you have. And that goal-setting mentality is what makes you feel successful, significant, or unsuccessful and insignificant. But I don't believe any relationship that's with God is anything about a goal. It has nothing to do with our ability to become anything more than what He is to us and we are to Him. But because we need flowery preaching, I ain't talking to no Pentecostal church folk. I was in a meeting a few weeks ago and something, it was a private meeting and I had asked for it and she doesn't even know what she said. But we were talking about the victimization today that is truly uh, become a, a film over our society where we now we now prop up victims and allow them to remain. In fact, victim sells. More books on victim sell than any time on victory. Because see, victory requires accountability and responsibility. Victimization is something that gives into ourself, our flesh. And she, we and her and I were discussing some topics that we're finding, and I was sharing with her my desire to, to speak to a generation above victimization. I didn't want to reduce a message, and I was sharing with her some things, and she said, don't worry, I'm going to get to a scripture. And she said to me, she said, she's a pastor of a very, very, very well-known church in America, and she said, I just had a speaker last year who I had in. And she said, and the preaching itself wasn't bad. She said, but the undertone of the message was all about victims. And she said, and I told him afterwards, I appreciate you and I'm glad God's using you in America, but you cannot come back to this church because I cannot allow the spirit of victimization covered up in a sheep's clothing to come and rob the people of God just because it will sell more books of yours. I don't know, maybe it's just me and I'm the only one. But I am looking for a people who don't have to find their victory because they had to remain a victim. But they learn how to go grace to grace, glory to glory, faith to faith, accountability to accountability, growth to growth, relationship to relationship, navigating the streams that come and the difficulties that manifest, not in light of what I've been done wrong to, but in light of where God has already done for me. So I want to talk about what it means to abide because there's only one way to get there. There's only one way, ladies and gentlemen. There's only one way. If you don't learn how to abide, you don't get there. Abiding is the only way. So I want to take us to John 15. Is that okay? Can I go there with you today? Is that all right? I promise you I will not keep you over. I will, though, however, challenge you. Because it's just the Lord's assignment on my life to us. I have dealt with that part of me. I also, why don't you keep a, a little mark in, in Mark 11 as well. Because I'm just going to go right there. I'm going to go right there as soon as I'm done. John 15 and Mark 11. Let's start in John 15, verse number 1. Would you stand for the reading of the word, please? I'm going to be reading out of the King James Bible in John chapter 15, New King James. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Now abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. 
and as a result is gathered and thrown into the fire and there burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By my Father who is glorified when you bear much fruit. Now, I'm going to deal with some misconceptions today. The first one I'm going to get out of the way while we're standing before so you can get over it so you don't have to shift in your seat. You can't ask whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, and expect God to give it to you if you ain't abiding. That's called Santa Claus Christianity. And God don't respond to that mess. He responds to people who have learned how to stay coarse in him so that he has such confidence that when they ask for something, it's what he's asking for too. Amen. Now go with me to Mark 11. I just like to go ahead and get that out of the way. I think it makes people feel better. It makes me feel better. You can just shift legs. Mark 11, verse 12. Now the next day when they had come out of Bethany, he, this is Jesus, was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. My assignment today, if I was going to have one, is have you learned how to abide or are you nothing but leaves? Lord, I thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it penetrates the hearts of men and women across this room, including myself. I thank you that I have no power within me to change anyone's life, but you, Holy Spirit, have all capacity to transform people. I ask you that you'll use me as a vessel that's honorable before you to be able to speak clearly and accurately your word. Let it be delivered that people can take in and consume what it is you have for them. Bless your word today. You receive all the glory from it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Let's abide. I want to start in Mark 11. And my reasoning for starting in Mark 11 is because I want to deal with this passage of Scripture mostly because I want to deal with something that we're struggling with in our culture. It's called tolerance. Okay, I'm going to talk on this side. Guys, this is the way I roll. So y'all going to have to roll right along with me if we're going to make it on this journey. Now, I, don't, I go to a lot of places recently, and I get to preach in a lot of churches, but I expect our church to be able to, like, stay with me. Let's go, all right? In Mark 11, it's interesting because Jesus is in the middle of navigating some very important things. First of all, he's on his journey to the cross. This is towards the end of his journey. He's headed to the cross. He's making way into Jerusalem. He's, he's confronting the civilization, the religious culture that's at hand. He's weeping over a city. All these things are happening in the context of Mark 11 and around it. And what we find out is, is that Jesus is on his way from one city to another. And he comes up and from a distance he sees a fig tree. And the fig tree has leaves. And on the leaves there should be fruit but the problem with it is is the closer that Jesus gets he's coming to eat the fruit of the fig tree because the fig tree is given the impression that it has something but when Jesus gets there he finds nothing and what I love is everybody gets confused over the second part of the verse when it says it was not the time for figs. Fig trees are interesting. Fig trees actually blossom twice a year. They are not once a year blossomers. They're twice a year blossomers. And in the first part of the year, they always produce their fruit before their leaves. Their fruit are always in appearance before their leaves. It's one of the most unusual uh, trees that we have because, because the fruit bears before you see the glory of the tree. See, all of us know that the leaves on a tree become the glory of a tree, but the fruit is what people eat from the tree that nourishes them. And what I think is, is Jesus' context here, besides he's talking to all of Israel about, about their ability to look like the part, but they actually got nothing going on inside 
inside of them. I'm coming to talk to an American church today and say we too have taken on this same fig tree lifestyle where we look the part like we are having breakthroughs. We look the part like we are Christ-centered and God-conscious and living our life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. We got lots of leaves going on on Sunday morning across to Oklahoma City, but there is very little fruit when you show up to the church houses or you show up to the home lives or you show up to the work environment. They're showing their leaves, but they have no evidence of fruitfulness. And the problem for me is, is that we've become satisfied with leaf bearing and not fruit bearing. Where we actually compliment people and believe that they are in some way fruitful because they are successful. May I help us? Success in your life and in your business does not always mean you are fruitful in kingdom. They only coincide out of relationship with him. In other words, there are people across America today who have very, very, very successful businesses that have no God consciousness whatsoever. The success measure of someone's life is not mean that they are fruitful in their life. But because of our Christian shallow natures and where we've become, if you show one leaf to us, we believe in some way you got all the fruit to back that sucker right on up. We'll send our money to anybody on a YouTube channel after a 10-minute video of how they overcame a really difficult place in their marriage. And there ain't not one piece of evidence besides that 10 minutes that they've done anything that has brought themselves closer to the Lord. Something that leaves us leaving believing that God is going to do something in their life because they said something that tickled us. And I want to confront the sensationalism that's existing in America. Where we are given to sensation, but not actual principle. Where we believe that in some way, sensational feelings and emotions are enough to drive us to make decisions about who's fruit bearing. And what we end up doing is Jesus is walking around our towns. The towns of our life, the towns of our neighborhood, the towns of where we work. And he keeps seeing trees. And he's hungry. My eyes rove to and fro. Looking for anyone whom I can show myself strong through. People say, well, God is not hungry. I, bear to, I say that's not so. I think God is hungry for a people. I think God has such patience. He's been waiting for a people. He happened to be on a road and he found something that looked like it was bearing fruit. He said, well, it wasn't fig season. You're right. It wasn't the full development of fig season. But if you're going to show the leaves, you better back it up with the fruit. It may have been the first harvest, but don't come showing leaves saying how God can work in season and out of season and how you could be an overcomer and you don't have to go under and it doesn't matter because you're the head, not the tail, and it doesn't matter what your week was like. You may be leaf bearing, but if words could overcome issues, none of us would have any. I'm going to walk like Catherine Kuhlman do. I'm encouraged because I do believe there are a people who are on a hunt, a desire to bear righteous fruit. I'm not being critical today. I'm trying to help us navigate the waters where we have ended up because we have taken a back seat to some things we're supposed to be in the front seat about. There are more marriage conferences than you could ever attend. I go down one Facebook feed and I can see six of them in Oklahoma City this weekend. I'm not criticizing a marriage conference. In fact, I am all for that. But what I am saying to you is you can attend every conference on every situation in every way for the rest of your life and still be a leaf bearer and have no fruit to show. And as a result of it, you leave an empty, unfulfilled, unfruitful life. Because fruitfulness is God's design. 
His design for us is to be fruitful. He gave us an innate desire to produce something. In fact, when Jesus wanted to talk to us about what happens when you and I have a relationship with him, he called it fruit. He wanted to demonstrate to us the importance. I have not found another scripture besides John 15 that brings us into a greater category of what Jesus was trying to explain to us happens inside of a relationship with him than this particular scripture. But because we don't live in an agricultural society and many of us are not around vines and, and, and we're not around a whole bunch of Napa Valley folk and we're not making a whole bunch of wine, we don't understand the context completely of what Jesus was trying to describe. In fact, we don't even really know where he was at. We just know he had left the upper room and he was headed into a place that he had this discourse. Now here's what's incredible to me. He could have talked about anything. He could have talked about miracles. He could have talked to his disciples about wonders. He could have talked to his people about the second coming. He could have talked to his disciples about anything. But he never talked to them about any of those things. He thought, I'm headed to the cross. What's most important for me to leave with them? And he tells them, let's talk about the vine. Let me tell you what he reveals to us first. Through the scripture in John 15, he reveals to us first what we have to overcome, which is normally ourselves. He said, if you want to know what it's like to have a relationship with me, you got to learn how to dig deep and stay in it. See, he knows how human minds work which is we are fickle, unpredictable. We get away from pain, not towards pain. We try to find comfort, not discomfort. And he said, if you want to know what it's like to stay coarse with me, if you want to know what it's like to really be in relationship with me, you're going to have to learn how to abide. Abiding is interesting because it is not a past tense. It is an active present tense word. In other words, no, whether, whether you did it yesterday, today, or tomorrow, it remains present tense. You have to learn how to abide. It is our nature to back up when something goes rogue. Some of us have different responses. Some of us go and hide ourselves in our closet. Others of us go out with punching bags and figure out whether or not we're going to be taking them down. If you're like me, you back me against a corner, my flesh wants to just come and beat. I am the opposite of a hermit. All punching bags. If I had gloves when I was a sinner. Now, all y'all are so Christ-like. I'm glad to know that. All of us have different responses, but every one of us struggle at staying course. To abide means to remain. I have found so many couples who end up in my husband and I's home on a dinner table with us, and they're struggling in their marriage. And most of the struggle is just at not being able to stay course. It's misunderstandings that create bigger and bigger gaps between where their one's living and the other's living. And those misunderstandings are so heavy on the heart of the couple individually that they can't figure out how to move together. And Jesus said to his disciples, first and foremost, you got to learn how to stay with me. It's going to be your natural instinct to leave. It's going to be your natural instinct to think you're getting nothing out of this. It's going to be your natural instinct to believe that in some way I've left you. But you got to learn how to remain. I would say that when he was talking to them about this particular scripture, John is my favorite book in the Bible. I've done a lot of research on it. I don't teach on it much as much as I used to. But this is one of my favorite discourses because when I was first studying the book of John, I, went, I was in Napa Valley. I was actually speaking about an hour and a half north of Napa Valley, and I wanted to go through it. This was my first time about 10 years ago. And, and my husband and I went, and we took a little tour, and, you know, they show you everything. And, I mean, half the words they use, I don't know how to use them. I don't even know what they are. I couldn't even pronounce them if I told you right now. I don't know what they are. They are, and who's like the guy, you know, I'm like this. <laughs> you know, I enjoyed the tour, but it was in the fall that we went, and, and we were walking around, and that was harvest season, and, and they were going around and, and trimming up everything, and, and we were walking down the course, 
and I saw him because, because when Jesus describes himself, he says, I'm the vine, which this is interesting because in the middle of a, the discussion with the man who was taking us around, he never referred to branches or a stalk. He just called it the vine. The entire thing was the vine. It was only sectioned when it came time to deal with each part. So he was talking about how this vine had been there since 1922 and, and this vine had been trimmed back and this vine had produced all of these grapes for so many miles and it was very impressive and, and we were walking around and he, he started to talk about the stalk of the vine and, and then he said, and see these branches and on one of the branches, the branch was, was pointed out from the trellis and it was, it was weighing down with some fruit. And he was coming by because part of the tour was cutting it off and, and giving us all a piece of the grapes and helping us understand what all the acidity was and all kinds of words that I don't know. And, and he was taking it off and he said, now you see this branch that's kind of leaning out here. He said, if I don't take this branch and cut off the fruit that it's bearing and tuck it back in with the other branches, the weight of the fruit will cause it to break. But if I tuck it back in with the other branches and keep it going in the same direction with the other branches, it will bear more fruit because it can carry more weight. So when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he first is telling them that in order for you to make it, you got to learn that everything that comes in your life comes from me. There is nothing you produce that comes from you. In other words, everything you try to produce is just a work and it's unfruitful. In Galatians 5, there's a description of the fruit of the Spirit. And before that, he calls it the works of the flesh. It's interesting to me, he doesn't say the the fruit of the flesh. He says the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Why? Because one has an end point that is unfruitful and it's just based upon an action. When you do something that you're doing out of sin, it has no ability to constantly reproduce. But when you do something from the spirit, it has an ability to keep going and be reproductive from generation to generation. See, you and I don't get to choose what kind of fruit we produce. I see people who say that person's fruitful. My question is, what criteria are you looking at? What makes someone fruitful? Because they are a servant of the house? I know, this is hard. It's hard for me too. Volunteerism is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. It may make you feel good, but it isn't a fruit of the Spirit. Servanthood is a lifestyle result of abiding in a vine. And if I could go further, what your servanthood does is it produces the fruit of the Spirit because it makes you rub along with people you don't like. And it makes you stay on a branch when you'd like to be out there like the branch I saw that's just bearing its own fruit, doing its own thing, being caught up saying, I'm like God. I'm like him. But the problem is you want to be like him unconnected to everybody else. But that's not how the vine works. The branch is not of itself. It's of the vine. And if the branch is going to produce more, it can't go rogue. The man said, I cut off the fruit and I tuck it back into the other branches. See, most of the time we want to be fruit bearers, but we get stuck being minimal fruit bearers because we don't like the other branches enough to stay coarse with them in the vine so that we can bear more fruit because we don't like that. Number one, there's no glory in it. Nobody saw me do it. Nobody noticed I was the one. Nobody got to see that I was the one who had bore the fruit of righteousness. You know what I find intriguing? Is that the fruit that God is producing in us, not one of them in the fruit of the Spirit was humility. Not one. Do you know why I believe 
believe that is? It's because I believe humility is the root of all fruit. You don't get to bear fruit until you get humble. Until you see yourself connected to something that ain't you. That sometimes when I see somebody come on TV, I got to be honest with you. When they start acting the fool as a preacher, I think to myself, what is wrong with you? And you know why? Not because I'm judgmental, but because I know they're a branch on my vine. I'm thinking, how in the how is it that I got to be connected? That's all right. I'm going to walk over here. <laughs> Jesus was trying to help them understand that in order for you to have a productive life, you don't only abide with me. You abide with people. Fruit isn't produced in isolation. Because every fruit of the Spirit has no ability to outwork in isolation. How do you know you got peace if it's just you? How do you know joy is activated in your life if it's just you, you, and you? Every fruit of the Spirit requires an outworking with other people. See, it's interesting because... In our circle, I can only speak to the charismatic Pentecostal in this particular situation. We tend to believe that God's greatest desire is that we use our gift well. Though I believe God does care about that. I don't believe that's God's greatest navigating desire. He didn't connect us to a vine to use our gifts well. In fact, there's not one discussion in all of John 15 that says, now make sure y'all, y'all connected to me. I'm going to show one of them spiritual gifts right on out. See, most of us have gotten used to seeing fruit as spiritual gifting. That's not so. You can have a gift and no character. And unfortunately, in our culture, you can even get a following with no character. But because you have a gift, doesn't make you spiritually useful. Let me go one step further. We're on this tour. Are you guys okay? Okay, because all I got. We're on this tour. And, and I see him, and he's, he's on the bottom. He bends down, and he starts showing us from the stalk from the root of this, of this grape vine. And he's picking up branches that are shooting out on the bottom. And he's tying them to a trellis. Now, I'd like to just take a step and say that by the time Jesus was having this discourse, trellises were used. In other words, there was something to connect the branches and the vines to so that they went in the right directions. And he was picking them up just randomly, and he was tying them on to the trellis. And one person in our group asked him, they said, why are you doing that? And he said, because it's the natural tendency for baby branches to want to stay in the dirt. See, what I find is people who are in the vine, who are just getting started, they like to stay down low because when they're touching dirt and still in the vine, it's called a mixtured place. It doesn't mean you are just new to Christ. It means you are a baby in your understanding. I know that just hit the back wall and it came back to me, but I want you to know that's the truth. Your years of Christianity means nothing without the yielding of your own spirit to him. You could have got saved at 12 and still be at the bottom of the barrel touching dirt because you'd rather live in a mixtured place than a place in which you had to come up higher. But it's the vine dresser who comes along and says, I can't leave you at the bottom. I'm going to teach you how to grow by tying you to a trellis. A trellis is something that helps you grow. It becomes a way for you to learn. 
I'd like to say that the trellis is our church. The trellis is your lifestyle with the community of believers. It's when you're tied along with something that's helping you navigate the right direction so that you become a producer and not just a consumer. And as he was tying it, he was talking to us about something very, very, very important because he said, if I don't pick them up out of the dirt, if I don't do this and I don't tie in all of these, these leaves and all of these branches, he said there will not be an ability for the wind to get through the grapes. And he said if the wind can't pass through the branches, then everything on the branch molds. Let me put it into some real prophetic words for you. The spirit is the wind. If our branches don't have a way for the wind to pass through it, the dew of heaven may come, but it will mold because you had no ability to navigate it with the Spirit not moving in your life. You may feel His presence as dew, but you have no ability to navigate with Him in it because the dew will actually turn to mold because the Spirit had no bearings in it with you. Let me give you an example. You come to a congregation and someone like myself or your own speaker gets up and they share with you truth. They are giving you due. They are pushing upon you an experience from heaven, from their own relationship with God. They're taking what they have been in processing and they're pulling it into your life as, as a due from heaven. But if you don't learn how to process that with the wind of the Spirit so that He can flow over the dew of heaven, it actually could do the opposite in your life and it turns into moldy religion. Where your fruit is no longer useful because it was all brought to itself. Anytime you and I become so entangled in our relationships... That everything we need comes from the other person. This interdependency that no longer is interdependent, now it's actually a relationship that's gone before bond interdependent. Now it's a true dependency relationship where I don't even know right from wrong and I'm navigating up and down. I'm coming to church, but there's no fresh wind flowing through me. And as a result of it, my relationships become moldy. My religious thinking becomes moldy. And I begin to think opposite of God. All in the name of God. See, I'm a little bit of a prophetic thinker. It's the way God processes in me. And I was walking across that day in Napa. It was so beautiful. And it was like the Holy Spirit just dipped in my heart. He said, I'm trying to bring new wine to a new generation. But they keep letting their fruit get moldy because they refuse the wind of my spirit. They have an interdependence on things that are not me. They've intertwined their life with so many things they need that I no longer have room to blow. It convicted my heart. You know why? Because it's not that I'm not for schedules. I'm totally for schedules. I understand schedules. Please don't misunderstand me. I am the one who normally says, we need to do this, we need to do that. That's my nature. But I'm telling you, the wind of the Spirit is exactly like the wind that happens in Oklahoma. You don't know where it came from until you see something in it. Until there's something that gives direction to it. You didn't even know it was there. Looking out the window, you can't tell unless you see a tree blowing. The wind of the Spirit is trying to blow once again over our churches and over our houses and over our individual lives. But we've entangled ourselves with so many things we think we need. So many propped up places. We call it relationship, but it's dependencies that are not godly. They're not built on God nature. They're built on our flesh. And they're put there because we feel secure when they're there. The problem is if the wind has no place to blow... There's no vulnerabilities left. And if you can't be vulnerable, why should his wind come? He wants to blow in the open spaces that are created in our vulnerabilities to say, a real relationship is getting to a place that I can abide with you and I can abide with others and I can still grow. 
I don't need everything to be perfect to grow. And here's what I love about John 15. It talks about a vine dresser. It talks about a vine. It talks about branches. It talks about fruit. But it never says anything about soil. Never. So my Lord, what does that mean? I'm not sure I know, but I'm going to share what I think. Here's what I think. A vine dresser knows where to put the vine. There's no glory for a vine dresser unless where he places the vine bears fruit. In other words, God's ability to find the right place for you should be seen in the glorifying of him by you bearing fruit where he chose which takes away sometimes our privilege of deciding what soil we can grow in. Oh, it's so dry in my workplace. You have no idea. I'm barely surviving it. It's like a desert. If I only had fresh water. I'm not denying that it may be dry. But there is a scripture in Isaiah that says, of Jesus, there was one who was coming even the middle of a desert, but he was a tender shoot that came out of a desert place. In other words, your soil situation is far less important than the vine dresser's location for you. Stop comparing your ability to the environment that you're in. God is able to take whatever it is you are in and allow you still to produce if you learn how to abide. Because the life isn't just in the soil. The life is in the vine. It's in the vine. It doesn't mean you have to have the best job you ever had in the whole world in order to be a fruit bearer. It doesn't mean you have to be the one that makes more on the company than anybody else. It doesn't mean that you got to be using 19 spiritual gifts in 45 different ways. You learn how to abide, and your abiding produces an ability for you to bear fruit. And the Bible says that when you bear fruit, he comes along and he prunes it. Let me help us. Pruning is not punishment. So many times we view the pruning seasons of our life, the times that God comes and cuts back, shaves down, rearranges, sets different course, as some kind of punishment for bad behavior. If you see pruning as punishment, you don't see God as a father. You see him as a judge. He introduces himself to us as a father on purpose so that we see him as one who cares for us enough to steward correctly. Pruning is part of growing. I'd like to say it this way. You don't actually get to grow without course correction. So if you avoid all accountability and people speaking into your life, you stay the same. People say, well, I, I want to produce fruit. You know, I come to church and I love God. Let me give you an example of how sometimes you don't produce fruit. Is this okay? I'm, I'm rounding the corner. Here's sometimes how that happens. When we know what to do and we don't do it, we may love God, but God is not in charge of our life. Whenever I do something and I regret it, but I have no bearing of repentance, we may not be bearing fruit. In other words, I can regret what I did and not actually repent for it. I had an emotional resentment to it but I had no spiritual connection of repentance. You may stay on the vine, but you don't bear much fruit. Let me give you another one. Sometimes we do things like this. We come to church, we honor God, we give, then on Monday we screw it all up. Then we repent, 
We're back Tuesday doing good. On Wednesday, we screw it all up. Now, I'm using the word screw it all up based on what we think, not on what God thinks. But we live in this up and down roller coaster ride, wondering if God's for us, if God's against us. Where are we at with God today? How's God thinking about us? Whether or not God's, God's with us or not with us. And then all of a sudden, we're still connected to a vine, but we don't actually got anything flowing to us because we keep hitting the same roller coaster issues week after week, year after year, month after month. And the problem with all that is, is that you have got movement, but you have got no production. Jesus never called himself the vine so that we stayed in the same condition we started when we grafted in. He wants our relationship with him to bear not just fruit, much fruit. And when he comes along to prune our lives, it's so that we can bear more fruit. He only prunes the fruitful. I don't want us to get going in this whole series called relationships and lose the essence of how relationships actually work. It doesn't matter if you want to be a great dad if you don't know how to abide. You can read every book on the planet, but if you don't know how to abide, let me tell you what happens. You may have done some works but you've got no fruit from generation to generation. Abiding produces fruit in you that then produces fruit in your family that brings you into a greater awareness that they're seeing your fruit and they become the part of the branches that are on your branch and now they're bearing fruit and now when you're intertwined with them, you teach them how to bear more fruit. Your marriage you have put two branches together. I'd like to just shut it down real quick before we get ready to go. Ecclesiastes 4, when Solomon talks about a three-stranded cord that's not easily broken, I have no desire to deconstruct every wedding ceremony on the planet. But I would like to say this. Solomon had multiple wives. I don't think it was only in reference to him, his wife, and God. If that is true, then where happened to all the other wives? In fact, if you read verse, verses 8, 9, 10, 11, all the way through, what you will find about this scripture is, is that he's talking about isolation versus being in community. And he is saying that when you're by yourself, what good is it that you did so well if you have no one to share it with? And then he says, when you finally get a partner, you can do a little bit more. But he goes further in and he says, but when you learn how to connect to more than just another, who knows what's possible? For a three-stretted cord is not easily broken. In other words, the more you can connect with other people, the more you can connect with God, the more that you can lay down your own self and find yourself in community, the stronger you become. In other words, in your relationship, the more you can yield, the more you can bond. The more you can bond, the more you can handle. The more you can handle, the more you can bond. To where now when my husband and I are in relationship, we can produce fruit. But not only are we producing offspring fruit, we're producing fruit because we're two Christians who have gotten ourselves into agreement. But not only is it good enough just for me and Jason, we don't want to just produce what we can produce. We come and connect ourselves with other relationships. David and Jen are our friends. We come and connect ourselves because we know it's not good enough just put over here in our little couple cells and say, oh, this is awesome, three-stranded cord, just me, you, and Jesus. It's going to be great. Solomon said, no, 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 no. You've got to learn how to connect with other people because the more you connect with them, the stronger you can become come at everything God's called. Real relationships are people who learn how to yield so that they can have greater fruit together. My relationship with my husband is not the only one God intended. Whew, revelation. Some of us believe loneliness goes away when you get married. Untrue. Loneliness is a condition of not abiding. 
It's about revelation. Children don't solve our issues of community. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm closing. Play the piano so they feel good. Why am I telling us this? Because I don't want us to start with the wrong thing in mind. It's not about finding your whole. It's about finding an equal. I'm not going to unequally yoke. In other words, when I find an equal who I know is of like kind, I don't mind yoking myself in that environment. Because I know that two are better than one and three are better than two. And now it's not about whether or not I've got 15 children or one child or, or 45 different spouses or one spouse for 50 years. What matters is I've learned how to choose my relationships and I understand that my relationships bring greater strength to my life. So I'm not going to isolate myself just because I'm married and just because i got great kids. I'm not going to intertwine just us because I know there's more. When I connect more. Is this okay? I want to pray for us today. That we will learn how to abide again. That we will shut down our minds. That so easily come to rob us of what it means to stay course. Stay course. I can't leave this place because this is my life flow. This is my placement in the kingdom. I'm not going to go and try to find a new vine. I'm not going to try to make my spouse my vine. I'm not going to try to make my children my vine. I'm not going to try to make my job my vine. My vine is him, and I am his branch. I will not define my fruit by everyone's success. I will define it by the Spirit so that I walk bearing much fruit for generations to come. If you believe that, let's stand together. Lord, thank you. For the privilege of honoring you by saying we're going to abide. That's just you today. Just say, God, I'm going to abide. I know that I'm in relationship, but I'm just making a renewed commitment to abide. Lord, help me to have the courage to remain. To not give in, but to stay course. I will not act as a victim, but I will act as a branch who's connected to a life source. For you, Lord, are calling us to bear fruit. Forgive us for being non-fruit bearers connected. Gird us up out of the dirt and cause us to go from babies to adults. So that we no longer eat off of the breast, but that now we can eat solid food. So that this generation can be changed. That we no longer have moldy fruit sitting in our church pews, but that now, God, you take us forward what it is you've called us to do we reach towards you and we declare we will abide at the gate church we will stay course we will do what you've called us to do in Jesus name we pray if you're in this room today there's our altar teams are going to be coming our prayer teams if you don't know what it means to abide you don't have a relationship with God I want to encourage you there is no greater place to be than to know you're right with him. There's no greater security than to know I made a decision to put my life in his hands. If it's you, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything specific. I'm gonna release the congregation. But I absolutely want you to come and allow one of our prayer teams to pray with you today, even if you're struggling to know how to abide. Let them spend two or three minutes helping you to know. Here's some places you can go. Here's some things that you can read. Here's some e issues that you can work out so that you can know how to abide in a stronger way. One sermon isn't going to do it. This week, read your Bible. Get into John 15. Say, God, help me to abide. Help me to stay course with you. Amen. If that's you, just make sure you come by the front. We want to pray with you. We want to be with you. Lord, bless your people today. We speak strength over them. We thank you for vitality. We thank you that they're blessed coming in and going out. They're the head and not the tail. Cause them to increase in every dimension this week. Bless their homes, bless their families, their children, and their businesses. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.